Hi there, this is Omar Crook, host of Living with a Genius. I want to personally thank you for your financial support. Your donation helps keep this show chugging right along, and I truly couldn't do it without you. As always, thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time. Here's Living with a Genius for October 10th, 2020. Cleveland's most famous con artist, Elizabeth Chadwick, was born on this day in 1859, Ontario, Canada. Her parents, Dan and Annie, owned a small farm in Eastwood. She had three sisters and a brother. Her father worked for the Grand Trunk Railway and was often away from the homestead. Betsy, as she was known to her family, was known to daydream and tell fibs as a child. At the age of 14, Chadwick took herself to Woodstock, Ontario, where she opened a bank account with a dubious letter of inheritance from an unknown uncle in England and a small amount of cash. While there, Chadwick passed several worthless checks to various merchants, and in 1870, she was arrested in Woodstock for forgery, but was released due to her age and on the grounds of insanity. Following a three-year absence, Chadwick returned to Eastwood in 1875 to discover that her sister Alice had married Bill York, a carpenter from Cleveland, Ohio, and had moved there with him. Chadwick followed her sister to the United States. After a brief stay with her sister and brother-in-law, Chadwick rented the lower floor of a house in Cleveland from a Mrs. Brown, claiming to be widowed and assumed the name of Madame Lydia Devere she set up a shop as a clairvoyant with funds from a bank loan on her sister and brother-in-law's furniture as collateral. Then in 1882, as Lydia Devere, Chadwick married Dr. Wallace S. Springsteen in Cleveland, Ohio. The couple exchanged vows before a justice of the peace on the 21st of November. She took the name of Mrs. Lydia Springsteen and moved into the doctor's house at 3 Garden Street. But trouble was hot on her heels. A photograph and story of the wedding appeared in the Plain Dealer newspaper. The article led Chadwick's sister, Alice York, and various tradespeople to the home of Springsteen to demand payment for debts his wife had accumulated. After Dr. Springsteen confirmed the stories about Chadwick's past, he threw her out of the house, filed for divorce, and settled her debts. Soon after, Chadwick re-established herself again as a clairvoyant, now as Madame Marie LaRose. She married John R. Scott, a farmer from Trumbull County, Ohio, but after four years of farm life, Chadwick went to a lawyer in Youngstown and left a sworn statement confessing adultery, directing her lawyer to file for divorce, and she returned to Cleveland. Shortly after returning to Cleveland, Chadwick assumed the name of Mrs. Cassie Hoover and opened a brothel on the city's west side. At the brothel, she met her next husband, a wealthy widower named Dr. Leroy Chadwick. Knowing of the doctor's recent loss, she played the part of a genteel widow who ran a respectable boarding house for women. But when Leroy responded that the establishment was a well-known brothel, Mrs. Hoover fainted. Once revived, she claimed that she would never run such an establishment and begged the doctor to immediately take her from the building, lest anyone think she was complicit in its operation. In 1897, Cassie and Leroy were married. 
Chadwick's spending habits quickly exceeded those of her richer neighbors along Cleveland's Euclid Avenue, then known as Millionaire's Row. And instead of being welcomed into the exclusive enclave of the Rockefellers, Chadwick was thought of as an odd woman who tried in vain to buy the favors of some of the wealthiest families in the nation. Submerged in the mannerisms and mores of the elite ruling class, it was during this period when Chadwick found the tools to begin one of the largest, most successful con games in U.S. history, that of establishing herself as Andrew Carnegie's daughter. During a visit to New York City, she asked one of her husband's acquaintances, a lawyer named Dylan, to take her to Carnegie's home. In reality, Chadwick visited Carnegie's housekeeper while ostensibly trying to check credentials. When Chadwick came back, she dropped a paper. Dylan took it up and noticed it was a promissory note for $2 million with Carnegie's signature. When Dylan promised to keep Chadwick's secret, she revealed that she was actually Carnegie's illegitimate child. Carnegie was supposedly so racked with guilt that he showered huge amounts of money on her. Chadwick also claimed that there was $7 million in promissory notes tucked away in her Cleveland home, and she was to inherit $400 million upon Carnegie's death. Dylan arranged a safe deposit box for her document. The information leaked to the financial markets in northern Ohio, and banks began to offer their services to Chadwick. For the next eight years, she used her fake background to obtain loans that eventually totaled around $2 million, or almost $60 million in today's currency. Chadwick relied on the assumption that no one would ask Carnegie about an illegitimate daughter for fear of embarrassing him. Since the loans also came with usurious interest rates, the bankers would not admit to granting them. Chadwick forged securities in Carnegie's name for further proof. Bankers assumed that Carnegie would vouch for any debts and that they would be fully repaid once Carnegie died. Chadwick carried out a lavish lifestyle as a result of her con, buying diamond necklaces, enough clothes to fill 30 closets, and a gold organ. She became known as the Queen of Ohio and claimed to give money both to the poor and to the suffrage movement. In November of 1904, Chadwick received a $190,000 loan from Herbert B. Newton, a Brookline, Massachusetts banker, but Newton was shocked when he heard of the other loans Chadwick had already received and called his loan in. Of course, Chadwick could not pay and the bank sued. At the time, she had accumulated debts of over $1 million or close to $30 million today. It was also discovered that a number of security notes being held for her in various banks were worthless. When Carnegie was later asked about her, he denied ever knowing her, further stating that he had not signed a promissory note in more than 30 years. Chadwick fled to New York, but was soon arrested at her apartment at the Hotel Breslin and taken back to Cleveland. When she was arrested, she was wearing a money belt containing over $100,000. Leroy Chadwick and his adult daughter hastily left Cleveland for a European tour when the scandal broke, and he filed for divorce before leaving town. The news sent shockwaves through the Cleveland banking community, and Citizens National Bank of Oberlin, which had loaned her $800,000, suffered a massive run on withdrawals, forcing it into bankruptcy. 
Andrew Carnegie attended Chadwick's trial, wishing to see the woman who had successfully conned the nation's bankers into believing that she was his heir. Other attendees included her old neighbors from Millionaire's Row, from whom she had tried so hard to gain acceptance. The trial was a media circus. On the 10th of March of 1905, a Cleveland court sentenced her to 14 years and a fine of $70,000 for conspiracy to bankrupt the Citizens National Bank and conspiracy against the U.S. government, as the federally chartered Citizens Bank was an agent of the federal government. On July 1st of 1906, Chadwick was sent to the Ohio State Penitentiary in Columbus. She brought with her trunks of goods for her prison cell, including clothing, photographs, and furniture, and the prison warden allowed this due to her celebrity status. As her health deteriorated, Chadwick began writing explicit instructions for her funeral and sent a portion of her hidden funds to Canada for the purchase of a tombstone for the family plot. Chadwick suffered a nervous collapse on September 17th of 1907, leaving her blind. The New York Times reported on the 9th of October that Chadwick was suffering from heart and stomach problems. She would die the next day at Columbus Penitentiary on the 10th of October 1907 at the age of 50. I like to believe that cheaters may sometimes prosper, but in the end, they never win. Let's wait and see. Thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time.